glory and praise, glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Several years ago now, when I was still in seminary, which is becoming more and more years as the time goes on, um, I was serving at a parish on the weekends, and one Sunday afternoon I visited with the uh, youth preparing for confirmation. And that day they were watching a video. They'd been watching a series of videos to help them uh, learn and prepare for the sacrament. And they, they were watching a video that was teaching a spiritual lesson about doing the next right thing. And... The lesson that was presented uh, in this video was found near the end of the beloved movie, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So this is the, anybody seen that one? Uh, so this is the 1971 original that I'm talking about here. Uh, and Gene Wilder is starring as Willy Wonka. And there are five children, if you haven't seen it before, or if you want a little refresher, there's five children that win a uh, golden ticket, right, uh, to take a tour of the chocolate factory and a chance to win a lifetime supply of chocolate. Well, the, the one by one throughout the movie, there are four of the five children are rather unpleasant, right? And four these four are eliminated in various ways. And then there's one good kid left, Charlie. And he's the last one remaining, so it seems like he's won, 
he's going to win the lifetime supply of chocolate. But towards the end of the tour, Willy Wonka's mood kind of inexplicably suddenly changes. And he abruptly shows Charlie, and his grandpa Joe was his chaperone. All right, good. Thanks for visiting. Goodbye. You know, shows him the exit. And it's just a kind of a strange part of the movie. And confused, Gra Grandpa Joe walks back in following Willy Wonka into his office and demands that Charlie win what's his, what's rightfully his, the lifetime supply of chocolate. But then Willy Wonka becomes angry, and he tells Grandpa Joe there is no chocolate because Charlie broke one of the rules. Now, there was a long kind of convoluted contract that they all signed when they entered into the factory tour, and um, Charlie broke one of the rules by stealing. Well, it turns out that earlier in the tour, Charlie and Grandpa Joe, they did a little something, a little sneaky. They, they hung behind at one point when no one could, they thought no one could see, and they took a drink of the fizzy lifting drink. Stealing. Stealing something that was not rightfully theirs. Well, this does not please Grandpa Joe to hear that they somehow violated this contract, and he calls Willy Wonka a crook, and he storms out of the office, and he pulls Charlie with him. He says, come on, let's go. I'll get even with him. If Slugworth wants a gobstopper, he'll get one. You remember who Slugworth was? Right, so he's this sneaky guy, the, the arch-rival candy maker to Willy Wonka, and before the tour, he had met, he had found Charlie, and and given him this offer. If he would bring back a top secret gobstopper, he would give him a fortune. And Charlie was from a very poor family, so this was gonna be potentially life-changing to receive the, you know, the temptations there, right? But as they're on their way out the door, as Grandpa Joe is pulling Charlie with them, something happens. Charlie suddenly stops. He turns around, he goes back into the office, and then he quietly places the gobstopper on the edge of Willy Wonka's desk. And as Charlie turns to go, Willy Wonka slowly reaches out and puts his hand on the gobstopper and borrowing a line from William Shakespeare says, so shines a good deed in a weary world. At our discussion time, I asked the young men in my small group how they felt about this dramatic scene. One of them mentioned feeling tension and a, a little bit of fear at the last part of this scene because there was uncertainty. I mean, Willy Wonka's kind of become unhinged at this point, and there's uncertainty about his anger and how is he going to react to Charlie in that moment. At the same time, we all agreed that there was a feeling of hope, and there was certainty that Charlie was doing the right thing by relinquishing the gobstopper and therefore declining the fortune that could have been his. Charlie didn't know, what we, many of you probably already know, Charlie didn't know that Willy Wonka was going to end up giving him the chocolate factory because of that good act. But Charlie did know that getting even with Willy Wonka and giving the secret gobstopper to Slugworth, he did know that was not the right thing to do. And Charlie's doing the right thing that moment reveals two important lessons, lessons for life, but I think lessons that apply specifically to Lent as well. One, the overarching theme of conversion and what conversion looks like. And then the other, 
a particular theme from today's gospel of light and what it's like to turn towards the light and to be inspired by the light. In that moment that Grandpa Joe was leading Charlie out the door to, to do the wrong thing, Charlie showed us what conversion looks like. Conversion is when we see that something is wrong or evil in our path, perhaps even feeling pulled by it, but we stop, we gather ourselves, we turn away from it, and then we turn back toward the light. And conversion is always possible. It's never too late. Conversion is always possible. Whether that evil has just popped up as a temptation or an obstacle to disrupt our path, or whether we've been following the wrong path for a long, long time, conversion is always possible. It's always possible to stop, gather ourselves, turn away from the evil, and look back towards the light. One common image used to describe Lent is that of a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage, it's not a regular kind of trip. I've preached about this before. It, it does involve oftentimes going somewhere, whether that's physically with our bodies or spiritually with, with a, a Lenten journey. Uh, it does involve travel, but it's not the same thing as a vacation. Right? It doesn't have the same purpose. It can be about taking a break from the world, and it can be about going to someplace interesting or beautiful, but that's not the primary purpose of a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is about seeking an encounter with God in which God not only waits for us at our destination, but reveals himself to us throughout the journey. After a pilgrimage, we do not merely return to back to ordinary life as we knew it. We're changed. We experience conversion. Our lives are more oriented towards the light of Christ. And then we, we shine a little brighter in radiating his light to the world by finding it easier to do the next right thing, especially when facing hardships, obstacles, and temptations that come in any and every pilgrimage. The second Sunday of Lent each year presents us with the transfiguration, just like the first Sunday is the temptation from one of the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The second Sunday is always the transfiguration uh, from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The apostles had been walking with Jesus for some time now, and they had recently heard, just a few verses before, they'd recently heard Jesus predict his passion to them, prompting Peter to rebuke him. We, how'd that turn out for Peter? Not so well, right? What did Jesus say in response? Get behind me, Satan, right? They'd recently heard Jesus predict his passion, and Peter, you know, Peter wasn't quite sure how to react to it. He didn't react the right way. And then they were told the conditions of discipleship, something we're familiar with during Lent. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. So they're hearing these things now, and today's gospel comes as a gift to these three apostles, as a gift to us as well as things were becoming more difficult and questions were beginning to arise. Peter, understandably, wanted to just, let's just, let's put some tents up and let's stay here. He wanted to stay in the presence of Jesus' glory. But there is no shortcut to a pilgrimage. It has to be lived out. It has to be experienced. The ups and downs, the, the sacrifices, the conversion, 
the turning towards the light. It has to be lived out and experienced. There is no shortcut. So they had to go back down the mountain to keep going, keep on following Jesus on the way to Calvary. But they received something with them as they made their way down the mountain, a gift, a gift we all need on our pilgrimage. Encouragement, light, a preview of where they're headed, something to remember when things were to get more difficult and the temptation to give up or turn back would arise. The transfiguration was not the destination itself, but was a sign for them, an encouragement that they were on the right path. Lent is a pilgrimage that teaches us about the greater pilgrimage of life. We might begin Lent with zeal, with, I'm going to do this for Lent. I'm going to give this up for Lent. I'm going to do this thing for Lent. Whatever it is, we might have a plan for, and if you haven't made a plan, it's never too late, right? We can start now. We might begin Lent with zeal for the sacrifices we're planning to make, knowing they'll be worth it, uh, that they'll lead us to, to more, more and more out of darkness and, and more and more helping us persevere towards the light of Christ. But as with any pilgrimage, zeal can wane. We can have ups and downs. We can have good days and bad days. We can get tired. We can get bored, distracted, or hungry. Uh, temptations arise, habits re-emerge, we might lose sight of where we're headed. We can even be tempted to take the wrong path or give up or turn back. Today's readings give us encouragement to be faithful, to make the sacrifices, to persevere, to recommit to Lent and our resolve for conversion, our resolve to continue seeking the light of Christ, our resolve to keep on doing the next right thing. When it gets hard to keep up that prayer practice, when we start to crave that food or media that we're missing, when we are tempted to give up on our Lenten pilgrimage, we all need encouragement, some kind of light to show us that we're on the right path. And we all need this type of encouragement and light, not only during Lent, but throughout the pilgrimage of life. Conversion is not easy. It takes work. It takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes purpose. In the second reading today, Paul encouraged us on our pilgrimage by reminding us of something important to remember. When we are discouraged or maybe feeling alone or feeling like everything is against us, because none of that is true. This is the truth that St. Paul wrote to the Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us and he is with us, whatever we're facing. And whatever we, it is we've committed to for our Lenten pilgrimage, know that Jesus is with us right now, encouraging us to keep going. But it's also important for us to take advantage of the things he's offering us, the gifts he's giving us along the way. First and foremost, the sacraments, coming to Mass, coming to Confession, Mass every Sunday, of course, but maybe during the week could be an option. We have 9 a.m. Mass on the weekdays and Saturday morning as well. Also during Lent, we have our candlelight Mass, that beautiful light in the darkness at 6 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. We, already ha we had our Lenten penance services past week, but the nearby parishes uh, on the east side will be having more of them throughout 
the Lenten season, and we have, Lent, we have uh, confession regularly on Friday mornings, Friday evenings, and Saturday mornings as well. And uh, uh, some extra days of confession during Holy Week as well. Um, we need the sacraments. We need to be strengthened by, uh, by them. We need to be nourished by his, his, his word. We can do that on our own at home as well. It's not just something we do here at church. We can spend time reading the Gospels at home, or there's different prayer apps, uh, things that can be emailed to you, or things you can look up online, books you can read on your own at home as well. Many things that we can dispose ourselves to, to receiving that encouragement and that little bit of light we need each day on our Lenten journey. Also, our Lenten mission is coming up. That's an important part of Lent, to consider something just setting aside, making a sacrifice of a couple evenings, March 10th and 11th, Sunday evening and Monday evening. It's a sacrifice, yes, but it's worth it. It's setting aside time to really learn something new, something important, maybe be refreshed about something that I did know and need to be reminded of. Particularly this year, we're focusing on the Eucharist in this uh, this is a time period throughout the United States that we're having Eucharistic renewal. So following that theme, we'll have uh, Mauricio Perez, a local, uh, he's, he's a writer who contributes to Northwest Catholic and is a speaker, or a, about, a theologian and speaker throughout the area. So encourage you to make that sacrifice, make it a point to come March 10th and 11th to be a part of our Lenten mission. Let us all recommit on this second Sunday of Lent to the rest of the journey, to, to our Lenten pilgrimage. Let us all recommit to conversion, to turning away from darkness and toward the light of Christ. And when we do that, let us be assured that we become transfigured. And through, and through us, the light of Christ shines brighter in our weary world.